You already studied some scripture? Um, so a couple of announcements. Uh, well, I mean, there have already been announcements, but I figure like I'll tack on a couple more. Um, it, just kind of reiterating, it, growing in the Christian life, is, it's, not a, it's not a mystery how this works. Okay? Um, it happens when we put ourselves in places for spiritual growth. And opportunities for spiritual growth are happening every single week. Wednesday night, high-quality teaching. Verse-by-verse teaching of the scriptures. Men, are there any men in the house? Can I hear a grunt? Yeah. Any ladies in the house that say, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wednesday night, a great opportunity to get to know some men of Firewheel and some ladies of Firewheel is to come to the men's and women's Bible study and bust open the Word together. And that happens every Wednesday, 7 o'clock, youth and children uh, going on at the same time. And then on Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m., uh, there's Bible teaching that is happening in, in more and more, Lord, more Scripture. So this morning we are in Matthew chapter 7, so turn there in your Bible. We are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse. And we're really in the home stretch of what is called the Sermon of the, on the Mount. And as I was preparing uh, for this morning, what came to mind was when I first had become a believer. And, and I was standing in front of the church I came to faith in, and I was talking to a friend. And, and this is before I knew uh, this passage. And, and I told him, I said, you know, it feels like there's two roads uh, that are stretching in front of me right now. There is this, this broad road uh, that, that I know really well, and, and this is the road I've been walking, and everybody I know is on it, but I, I was like acutely aware at that moment that if I continued in this trajectory, I was headed for death. I just knew it. But then I was like, there's this narrow little path, and, and it, it feels like Jesus is on it, and I'm being called to follow him, but it's kind of scary because I, I don't know what this means, and everything was like brand new, and, and uh, my friend asked me, which path are you going to take? Well, we turn back uh, now to the Sermon on the Mount, and... Um, the official home stretch, and we're going to see how chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, breaks up into a series of twos, uh, and that's intentional, okay? So we're going to see two paths and two trees and two professions and, and two different foundations. In fact, the passage we're going to study this, this morning and in the coming weeks are some of the most important passages that we will study together as a church, and so this is not the time to zone out. Right? This is not the time to start scrolling Facebook or start cracking jokes to distract the person next to you. This is a time where our spiritual senses really need to be sharp. And we really need to be listening. Oh, that we would have ears to hear. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and following. Jesus declares this, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Here we are, disciples, just as the Sermon on the Mount begins, his inner core of disciples follow him up the hill and sit at his feet. This is Jesus' teaching for us this morning. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, introduces us to two paths, and they're very distinct from each other. And in fact, the differences are, are best captured in the ultimate destinations. One path leads to destruction. The other path leads to life. Again, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And so we have these two paths, these two doors, these two gates compared. The first is the wide gate, the wide gate. And it is described as broad and spacious with very little resistance. But the ultimate destination is what? Death. And destruction. This is speaking of eternal, everlasting death, and we're informed of some troubling news that this is the pathway of the majority. Okay? Everyone can come along for the ride. There's no standards or boundaries. Live the way you want to live, believe whatever you want to believe, define God any way you would like to define God. This essentially is the pathway of culture. It is the pathway of the fallen world. And honestly, it is the pathway of many church-going, quote-unquote, Christians on a Sunday morning. There are so many that are headed for and sprinting towards death unaware Convinced they are saved, even though, and we're going to see this very, very troubling word from Jesus next week, even though Jesus doesn't know them. Now, compared to the wide gate and the broad path, we are introduced to the narrow gate and the narrow path. It is described as the narrow gate or door, it's narrow in width and limited in access. Like, you can, you can barely just squeeze through. You can only, family, you can only enter the narrow gate through faith in Jesus. Jesus declaring to his disciples, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the narrow gate. That is the narrow way. Jesus declaring, listen up. Pay attention to this. This narrow gate, narrow in width, limited access, its path is described, listen to this, as difficult and costly, but it leads to life. But then we're met again with these troubling words, few will find it. Now, I don't know if you ever go hiking, uh, but this past weekend we were, we were enjoying some camping with the boys. I say enjoying, it was freezing cold, and uh, I barely brought enough clothing. Like, I, I was packing, and Madeline, my lovely wife, she's like, make sure you pack some warm clothes. I was like, okay, shorts, t-shirt. She's like, it's going to be cold. I was like, eh, I'll have a pair of jeans. And then uh, we get there. And I so, so am glad I brought a sweatshirt, and I'm so glad that my wife packed for me on the backside, because she brought a jacket and gloves, and, 
Anyway, at one point we were hiking, and uh, you know, I started thinking about this. What if you approach a trailhead? And this is kind of the image that comes to mind as Jesus is teaching is, is you've got this broad path, this, and it, it's got a, a marker on it. It says, hey, uh, uh, the trail, difficulty level, easy, you know? And it, it looks kind of pleasant, you know? And there's all these people that are walking along. You're like, I, I think I'm going to take that path. But then over to the right, there's this, this kind of narrow path, and there's these like jagged rocks, and you can like barely squeeze through it. And there's a little placard that says difficulty, very difficult. And, you know, the thought is like, which path are we going to choose? And I, I think as just human nature, we have this tendency to pick the easiest way. But this, this easy path, it's so deceptive because as you're walking along, it's so, and we kind of look over people getting into the narrow path. Oh, <laughs> they're so foolish, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Jesus is the only, and you're just walking along. But all of a sudden, very gradually, there's this kind of slope that develops. It has only one destination. Many, few. And so this morning, I want to share some things with you. This is going to be uh, as it relates to the church, and I believe that the context affords this discussion, and it's a very important discussion for us as a church. And if you're a guest with us this morning, understand that this morning, these are very, very important discussions for us as a church as it relates to why we do what we do and, and what is the focal point. And, I, and I'm going to read some extended quotes to you, and they're very, very important. Because we're talking about the broad path and we're talking about the narrow path. And, and over the last probably 30 years, there is a philosophy that has been permeating the local churches. Okay? And it kind of began and was perfected in, in the early 90s. And if you've been in the church since, I don't know, say through the 80s or the 90s, early 2000s, you watch this philosophy sweep across the country. And, and many of you were in churches when this happened. Okay? And it is described as an attractional model of ministry. And, and I'm going to give you some definitions as we, we go along. And this is, again, very, very important for us. I quote here from Jared Wilson, Prodigal Church. He says this, A definition of attractional, a way of ministry that derives from the primary purpose of making Christianity appealing. Hold on to that. Making it attractive. By this definition, it would not be an exaggeration to say that the attractional church makes it its primary aim in worship to get as many people through the doors of the church as possible. It began as, as a real admirable undertaking. It was like, hey, this traditional style of ministry, it seems to be not as relevant to culture, so why don't we, why don't we start adapting our Sunday morning worship service, which, by the way, is the most important thing that we do as a church each week. This is the one time where we gather together as the church to worship. So let's, let's kind of change the Sunday morning worship service, and let's make it something that will attract people who may not go to church. And we're like, that's a great idea. So Rick Warren and Bill Hybels wrote these two books, one from Southern California and one from Chicago. And, and the, the kind of the teaching, it went east, it went west, and this went west, and it went east, and it just kind of crashed right here in the middle of the country. So Rick Warren writes this, Increasing the size of your church does not require the intelligence of a rocket scientist. You must simply get more people to visit. So how do you do that? 
create a service that is intentionally designed for your members to bring their friends to and make the service so attractive and appealing and relevant to the unchurched. By the way, that word unchurched is defined as a person who's never been to church. Share it, okay, unchurched, that your members are eager to share it with lost people they care about. And you look at that, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah, let's, let's make this attractive. We want, Jesus, we want people to follow Jesus, so let's, let's have them come in. Well, that concept gets developed. Uh, I quote here from Andy Stanley in his book, Deep and Wide. He says, we are unapologetically attractional. In our search for common ground with unchurched people, we've discovered that, like us, they are consumers. Listen to this. So we leverage their consumer instincts. So essentially, Jesus becomes a product. Christianity becomes a consumable. And so the attractional model begins to target you, tapping into things like our desires to be catered to. We like things that are about us, don't we? How many of you like really good service? Come on, you go to a restaurant, you're like, I hope it's poor service today. I don't even need water. You know what I mean? I'll just drink my spit. I'm good. No, we want good service, right? So what churches started doing was looking at the service industry. And they started looking at marketing and how big companies got people to purchase. And they started branding And they started developing a product that people would buy. And it's proven to be very successful. I go on and and quote further. Um, The mechanisms. Beginning to use culturally relevant music, often songs from the top 40. Avoid using theological language in songs that are too churchy. So here's a quote. We do our best to open our corporate singing sets with the least offensive lyrics possible. So that's the goal. We try to open with songs that highlight God's glory as revealed in nature, God's love, God's power, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, etc. The stuff most people don't have a problem with, then we... Oh, man. Then we move to more Jesus-centric tunes. Everything that is presented is designed to give you an experience. The ultimate goal, the only goal, is to get you to come back and bring somebody with you. Andy Stanley continues, seriously, our goal on, we- on the weekend is to create a setting so appealing, a presentation so engaging, and content so helpful that unchurched people would not only want to come back the following week, but they would be very comfortable and motivated to inv- invite a friend. Again, it's a very admirable undertaking, but here's the problem. It's not actually happening. See, I'm truly an unchurched person. I had never been to church, ever. People are like, surely you went to church. Never didn't have a Bible in our home. We never talked about things of faith. My dad was really into aliens, so we like talked a lot about aliens, but we never talked about things of God. So my first time going to church, the first exposure I had was a, a, a friends of mine, they wanted to take me to this big, big mega church, and they were like, oh, we're going to get you saved, and we went in, and, and it was like a TV show. And I remember watching, I was like, this is cool. 
I mean, it's like a concert. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily choose this music, but that's cool. And I went forward, and I quote-unquote got saved. They led me into a little room. They stamped me, and I walked out into a parking lot, and I was like, what just happened? But then a Christian infiltrated my life, built a relationship with me, and invited me to a local church where I got to meet the pastor, and I got to learn, and I sat under his teaching, and he just taught the Scripture, just the reading of Scripture. And, and here's the miracle of it. I watched Christianity, and I saw something different. And the Lord brought me to faith. See, here's what's actually happening with the attractional model. I quote here from Jared Wilson, Prodigal Church. As research shows, by and large, the people filling these church buildings week in and week out turn, to be, turn out to be other Christians. The idea that the attractional church is having its doors beaten down by lost people is a myth. What generally happens is that an aspiring megachurch develops an attractional mindset and their efforts produce great fruit in attracting Christians from other churches with less prodigious offerings or Christians who've been out of church for a while. The kind of growth the attractional church experienced the most of is transfer growth. See, what we're doing is we're trying to attract Christians from other churches. That's what all of our advertisements are doing. <laughs> we're not like that other church. We're, look at what we're doing. And if, if you just do the, the basic, uh, a basic case study of local churches that surround a big megachurch, what's actually happened is it's, it's just pulled Christians from other smaller churches. It's kind of parasitic, actually. By and large, the majority of people flooding into large attractional churches are other Christians who typically leave smaller churches. I can't tell you how many times I hear this. You know, I'll talk to people, and they'll, they'll tell me what church they go to, and I'm like, oh, cool, tell me about that. Why, why do you go there? Oh, that's, it's great. You know, I show up, I can get a cup of coffee and a donut, and I can just kind of slip in. Oh, man, can I? Oh, and, and there's this amazing, it's like almost like a rock concert. And, and there's this stuff, and I can just kind of slip out. Hear these words again. And, they, and they're like, oh, it's just so easy. Jesus, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gathering of Christians on the Lord's Day, this most ancient practice, was never meant to be a show. This is not a performance. The church service is a narrow path. Because we come together as Christians, and our focus is Jesus. He is the head of the church. He is the capstone. He is the cornerstone. He is the Lord. He is our master. He is our savior. We are his bought ones. He has purchased us from death. And so we gather together for worship. Listen to this. Um, Jared Wilson, he says this, the worship service biblically is a gathering of Christians to enjoy God in communion with him and each other. That's so cool. <laughs> and so there's some, there's some very distinctive things, several elements, singing, praying, preaching, eating. That's why we hold communion. 
We could add other elements, but the service is meant to reorient the body around its head, Jesus Christ, and to prepare us for the ongoing personal and communal witness of the church outside the gathering. If you walk out of here and the only thing you get is a neat little quote from me, I have failed. But if you walk out of here with more of Jesus in your life and more of real Christ-centered community in your life with other believers, then what we're doing is just run-of-the-mill Christianity, the way it was always meant to be. I love this uh, Brian Chappelle, and this is the last extended quote. I normally don't do this, by the way. You all know that. But I just felt like these are very, very important these thoughts. Because we're going from the philosophical and then we're going to get down to the, the practical stuff. God primarily designs worship for people to worship him. If our worship were ever truly and completely seeker-oriented or attractional, then the purpose of worship would be turned upside down. If worship is more about people than about God, then it's not really the worship of him. Second, if the worship of God's church is not primarily for God's people, then we deny them the worship they are obliged to give, obligated to give. And we rob God the worship that is due him from them. If we design, if we think, and we create a service that is all about giving you an experience, we are literally ripping God off. Our gathering is to be radically and distinct from anything else in culture where we sing praise to a holy God, we huddle around tables of elements, we hold the scriptures, and there is an intimacy of relationship with Christ and each other. And I just want to tell you, church, if you sit down at a church and smoke starts billowing up from the stage and lights start cutting through it and professional singers and musicians get up there all pretty and all that and they start jamming, now run because you were being manipulated you were being tricked beware Matthew 7:15 of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves Jesus declares watch out be on guard. Be careful with your spiritual shepherds because here's what's crazy, family. We're very susceptible to teaching. And the teaching that we put ourselves under, it starts to become our thinking. And then our life. There are so many teachers that by their teaching lead people away from Jesus all the while they're claiming to preach Jesus. That's the bizarre thing. And there's nothing new about it. In fact, in the Old Testament, false prophets would preach a message of prosperity and wealth. Prosperity and wealth to a spiritually sick people. A people that were literally being led away, walking away from the Lord, they would say they were representing God, all the while they are pushing them further away from God. They would mix the worship of God with the worship of the world, never repentance, never humble yourselves before a, hum a holy God, never narrow gate, 
always the broad path. Many would quote scriptures but distort it to their own ends. They would gather up their gold and they would melt it down and craft it into a golden calf and the people would rise up to play. Today, we don't do it with, with our gold. We do it with our cash. And we accumulate it and bring it together when we build massive buildings, edifices to our own self-worship. And it's sick. We build these monstrous buildings. We put on concerts. We have Twitter-ready sermons. Even at the time of imminent threat, we continue to lead people to death. Family, some of the world's most famous false prophets are some of the church's most celebrated popular contemporary pastors. Beware, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Verse 16, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is speaking of teaching. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll know them. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Watch. And Jesus describes false prophets as thorn bushes and thistles. I love fishing. <laughs> love it. And I love going down to Rowlett Creek. I, I say that because that's the only place I can fish locally. Anyway, so I go down there. I, Lake Ray Hubbard as well. And I'm walking down into the, the creek, and sometimes I deviate from the path. You know what I mean? Because I, I just like blazing my own trail, and I'm like, if everybody goes on this path, there's got to be a better fishing hole. Anyway, so I start walking along, and all of a sudden I get wrapped up in thorns. And the farther I go, the worse it gets, and it's almost impossible to get out of them. And that's what the false teaching's like. You kind of step off the path, all of a sudden you get wrapped up. You get wrapped up in that teaching. And it grabs a hold of you, and it grabs a hold of your kids and your family. And it's almost impossible to unwind yourself from it. It's, it's, it's described as, as rotten fruit that will make you spiritually sick. This week I was watching a, uh, a message that was put out by a really big, well-known church. And the pastor got up there and really celebrated thousands. He's telling the church, oh, thousands of people watch me. Thousands of people. I'm leading the nation. He gets up there. He's got this rock and Rolex. He's just talking about cash. He's telling the church how good their bathrooms are. 168,000 square feet of building. And look, no, 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 no. Oh, money this. And you know what? God wants to prosper you. He wants to give you more money. Do you need more money? Let's give more money, because when you give more money, you're going to get more money. And as I watched, I was like, thorns and thistles, man. And people are cheering, and they're celebrating. They're like, yeah, this is so awesome. Why? Because you're telling, we're telling, being told what we want to hear. We want to be rich. But Jesus said you're going to be poor. I want to be successful. Jesus said you're going to be persecuted. I want to be blessed and comfortable. Jesus said, take up a cross. And as, as I was listening, cherry-picking verses and, and some jokes, he was incredibly engaging. I was like, where's my wallet? <laughs> I was like, hold on a second. Hmm. But his message was death. Beware, preachers of the wide gate, very popular. 
Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. And I just want to say this, family, stop shopping for sick. Stop shopping for sick. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with it. They won't have the palate for it. A steady diet of verse-by-verse scripture, it's not entertainment. It's challenging. Some of Jesus' teachings are hard. Would you agree? I mean, that's what's crazy. Jesus was so popular. He gathered a crowd. But then he had this peculiar practice of turning around, and then he started teaching. And all of a sudden, these massive crowds would be like, I don't really want to listen to that. I mean, Jesus, could you water it down a little bit? I mean... We like it when you feed us, but uh, eat your body and drink your blood? What are you talking about? Dying to self? And all of a sudden, the crowds would be like, "Uh, we're going to go find another prophet. We're going to go find another preacher. We're going to go find another savior. There will be a time where people will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own what? Passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and we'll wander off into myths. Matthew 7, 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Family, true prophets are going to be preachers of the narrow path. They're going to run against popular spiritual teaching. They will be distinctly different. Okay, Jesus describes them as grapes and figs and healthy trees and healthy fruit. That's healthy teaching. That means when you eat it, you can become spiritually healthy. It's nourishing. Sound biblical verse-by-verse teaching is what you need and what you should be looking for, not the next person trending on Twitter. I mean, I like listen to things that people say. What attracts them to things? What draws them? And it's heartbreaking. A truly Christ-centered and gospel-focused worship service is what you should look for. It's a gathering of Christians to enjoy God in communion with Him and others where we sing and pray and teach and we hold our hands together. We eat. And, and some would ask, well, what about the person who's not a believer? What happens is they get to see what real Christianity looks like. They get to see a church. Jesus said that they will know us by what? Our what? They'll know us by our what? Our what? Our love. People will know us by our love for one another. That when Christians love one another and they love Jesus together, you know what? That's the most attractive thing on earth because it's out of this world. When we hold communion in our hands and the unbeliever watches what they're seeing us, we're touching and we're tasting and ingesting the gospel. We are literally proclaiming the Lord's death. Family, that's what this is. This is the tray of the Lord's death. This is the most holy thing that we do. This juice and this broken bread proclaims his death until he returns. 
It also proclaims his resurrection, that Jesus lives. Amen? Amen. So here's, here's my encouragement. This, by the way, is not a long, extended sales pitch for Firewheel. Because what we're doing here is just run-of-the-mill Christianity. It's becoming more and more distinct in the sense that it's harder to find. But it's not unique. So this isn't just like, oh, Firewheel's better than other churches. That's not what this is about. <laughs> Was that Mary? Oh, you cracked me up. <laughs> but it is becoming more rare. You know, the Old Testament talks about people searching for the scriptures being taught and they can't find it anymore. And they'll travel, travel east to west to look for it, but they can't find it. So the, the question I have, as my friend asked me all those years ago when we stood in front of that little church, which path are you going to take? And then, which path are we going to take as a church? So this morning, yes, we are, we are going, we study the scripture, but this morning is really, this is a moment where we have to make a decision as a church. Which path do you want to take as a church? Well... Next week, we will have spoons. <laughs> no, the Psalms are riddled with instruments. Yeah, we're supposed to praise him with clashing or crashing cymbals. We're supposed to praise him with stringed instruments. So here's the question. Do you want to be an attractional church where we're trying to attract Christians from other churches, or do you want to be a Christ-centered church where we worship Jesus and the miracle where people will see our worship and they will be drawn to Christ? What kind of church do you want to be? Christ-centered, yeah. What path do you want to take? Well, next week, my prayer is that we make it really, really hard for people to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. We want to make it really hard for people to not meet Jesus. Amen? All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your scriptures. And Lord, as we've talked, uh, as a real family talk this morning, and um, Lord, I confess my own uh, sin and trying to attract people. And, uh, or just like my grandmother used to say, Christopher, don't be cute. I've been cute. And uh, I, I've believed. And I've tried to create what essentially would be theft from your body. And I'm really sorry. And I ask for forgiveness on behalf of your church. Now, Lord, we have wandered away. And we've become something that's, that's not your body. And we've become worshipers of ourselves. Um, please draw your church back to repentance. Draw us back to the cross. That we would humbly approach you in worship. Um, if you do not know Jesus this morning, 
I want you to understand that he died for your sins on the cross. He was buried and he's risen. And the Bible proclaims all who believe in Jesus, all who place their trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins will be saved. If that is your heart this morning, the desire to give your life to Jesus in the quietness of your heart, just tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, you've passed from death, spiritual death, to life. And now it's time to walk a narrow path. Welcome to the family. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. Let's reach for the heavens. Give God a wave offering. It's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet this evening at 5.30 p.m. to eat some tacos and bid on some gear and watch the Rams win. Anyway. <laughs> and we'll be meeting next week, same time, same place. You all know the deal. But do not forget, you are loved. And let's carry that love out these doors as we lavish it on one another. Have a wonderful Sunday.